Thanks for that, Danielle. Uh, there is a sermon outline in your order of services. Uh, let me actually encourage you to pull that up because that will actually be helpful uh, for you to look along. Uh, and let me pray for us. Gracious God, we do thank you that you speak in and through your word. Uh, we do pray as we open up uh, the Bible uh, this Lord's Day, especially as we start a new month and a new series, that you might meet us where we are. continue to give us a deep understanding of your will and your good purposes for our lives. And also we do ask that your spirit might bring uh, conviction uh, to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we are starting uh, a new sermon series uh, on stewardship. Uh, that will be probably for this month, uh, and then we'll take a bit of a pause the month after that. We'll do the Psalms. We'll land in the Psalms for a month. So th- that's our plan. Uh, I thought I'd let you know where we, we're at. Uh, but today we're going to look at Luke 16. Luke 16 is a very unusual passage, so you should have it in front of you in your Bibles. It's one of the more unusual parables of Jesus, because in this parable, it appears that Jesus commends someone who acts dishonestly in the way they use their money. Uh, it, it, it appears that Jesus actually commends someone who acts only for their own future benefit, Right? And what's even more surprising is that Jesus holds this up for us as a model for us in how we should be using our wealth, our resources. Uh, So one of the most obvious questions when you come to this particular parable is trying to work out why Jesus tells his disciples this parable. Okay. So what I want to do is, uh, in your outlines, you notice I'm going to work through the parable with you uh, and then draw some application. And so you notice verse 1 and verse 2. It's a very unusual story. You heard Daniel read for us. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about? You give an account of your management because you can no longer be manager anymore. And so uh, basically Jesus tells his disciples, you've got a manager, a steward. He's accused of mishandling or wasting or squandering his master's possessions. Okay. In other words, in this story, you have a rich man who has been entrusted uh, with the management uh, of a rich man's estate, uh, a rich man's wealth, uh, his business to an agent or steward. And if you think about it, uh, it's not an unusual thing for rich people to do uh, then and today. Uh, You entrust the running of your business to others to manage stuff. They make legal decisions on your behalf. They negotiate contracts. They enter into business agreement. And the assumption is that they will act on your behalf and they will actually put your interests first. Or maybe you you entrust your estate or your finances to your financial planner. And they make legal transactions on your behalf. They invest your finances. And the assumption is your financial planner always acts in your best interests. That's the role of the rich man's manager, his agent, his steward. But in this story, Jesus tells... He's been accused of wasting his master's, notice possessions, wealth, finances. Now, that word waste is the same word Jesus uses to describe the lost son in Luke 15. So if you go back one chapter, which we're not doing, Jesus tells the parable of the lost son. Uh, And in the chapter before, we read of the lost son who wastes, who squanders, the word there is, who squanders his father's wealth. Uh, That's the same word that's used here. Uh, The steward of the manager, he squanders, basically, the rich man's wealth. 
And it's very similar in this story. Uh, and, you know, he's got access to his master's online bank accounts, checkbook, key, key, key card, you know, pin number. But what does this man do? He takes what has been given to him that, he man- that he's supposed to manage, and he wastes it. And so he appears to have squandered it, and notice he squanders it on himself. And so what happens is not a surprise. Uh, an accusation is made. The master hears that the guy who's supposed to be managing his wealth has squandered it on self-indulgent personal lifestyle. And, it, and it's so obvious that other people actually are aware of it as well. And so have a look at verse 2. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you can no longer be manager anymore. His master calls him in to account for the way he's mishandled the money. And so he's given notice, his time as a steward or manager is coming to an end. Uh, The responsibility to to manage his master's uh, finances is coming to an end. Okay, so that's verse 1, verse 2. So have a look at verse 3. This is what then happens. The squanderer then, let's call him the squanderer, he contemplates his future. Okay, because he knows he's going to lose his job. Uh, And look at verse 3. The manager said to himself, what shall I do? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm ashamed to beg. He recognizes that everything's going to be taken away from him. It's coming to an end. Uh, he, he recognizes that everything he's banked on, his master's wealth and finances entrusted to him, it's all coming to an end. And, and, and that now means his future is actually uncertain. And so he contemplates future op- options. What's he going to do? Now, here's the thing, right? He's too weak or he's too lazy to do manual labor. It's beneath him, perhaps. Maybe he's a white-collar worker, right? Professionals, right? Can't do anything else but sit behind a desk and manage stuff, right? Or he's too proud to beg because he's had a high position for so long over his master's wealth. He just can't bear the thought of, like, going on the dole. So what will he do to change his future? What can he do in the present to change tomorrow, well, here's his plan, verse 4 to verse 7. And so he says, I know what I'll do when I lose my job here. People are going to welcome me into their homes. Okay? Notice how absolutely self-focused he is. His only loyalty is to his own comfort and status and future security. He's only concerned about his future happiness. Uh, in managing his master's wealth, he squandered it on himself. And even when he's losing his master's wealth, he only thinks of himself. How to ensure he'll be comfortable and happy in the future? How can I get out of this situation looking good? So look at the plan. The plan, he says, is to win as many friends as possible. To build as many grateful relationships with his master's money so that when he loses his job, people are going to take him in. People will help him. People will return the favor. So look at verse 5 to verse 7. This is what he does. So he called in each of his master's debtors, Right, people who owed his master money. He asked the first, how much do you owe my master? 800 gallons of olive oil. He replied, the manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, make it 400. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? 1,000 bushels of wheat, he replied. He told him, take your bill, make it 800. And so what actually happens is uh, he goes through the list of people who owe his master money. And the plan is to win the approval of those who owe his master money so they will return the favor when he needs help. Smart, isn't it? So what does he do? He, <coughs> he lowers the bill of those who owe his master money. 800 gallons of oil is about 
another version will actually say a thousand denarii. Uh, and to give you a sense of what is owed to the master, that's about three years' salary for an average worker. It's a lot of money. And so what happens is the squanderer, he cooks the books, doesn't he? Instead of a thousand, he says, how about you pay half of that? In place of a thousand, I'll write down 500 owing. Uh, and, and the equivalent would be, many of you in this room, you've got home loans. Uh, you go to the bank manager or the bank manager calls you in for a meeting and he offers to reduce your loan by 50% for nothing. A few taps on the computer, Ron, and it's done, right? Easy, tap, 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 done, 50%. And so the squanderer calls in the second guy who owes his master money, who owes his master 1,000 bushels of wheat, 1,000 acre crop yields, about 3,000 denarii. That's about nine years' worth of income. And the squanderer says, you know what, just pay 80% of that, 20% discount. So in place of 3,000 denarii, he writes 2,400 owing. So, so can you actually see what he's doing, right? That's the idea in this section over here. He's doing everything in the present to secure his future happiness, to secure his future security. He's really shrewd, isn't he? Do as many favors as you can for people so that they will owe you when the time comes. Build as many grateful relationships as you can. He's doing everything he can do today to change tomorrow, okay? Now, comes the twist. This is verse 8. So look at verse 8. Uh, in your NIV, it appears that the story Jesus is telling just continues, okay? Because notice verse 8. It appears the master commends or praises the squanderer for being so smart and shrewd. It would be a really, really strange thing to do, right? The guy you just fired for mismanaging your wealth, who has stolen from you, has now committed fraud, uh, is losing you money, and you praise him. It would be weird, right, for a master to do that. It doesn't make sense. I want to suggest to you that the story or the parable Jesus tells comes to an end in verse 7. So the story has come to an end. The word for master in this story is the same word for Lord uh, that you find in Luke's gospel. That's translated here, master. Uh, it's often actually used to speak of Jesus. And so when you read the Lord, the Lord said, right? It's speaking of Jesus. So the story ends and then we have Jesus' take on the dishonest manager. And so you look at verse 8, Jesus says, the Lord Jesus commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. And so in this story, Jesus actually commends the dishonest manager, not because he was dishonest, but because he was shrewd, very shrewd. Oh yeah, he's selfish and he's self-indulgent. He does what he does because he's selfish, he's only thinking about himself, but he's shrewd. Why? Because he is forward-thinking, isn't he? He knows present happiness is going to end, and so he makes decisions in the present to secure future happiness. Uh, and so look carefully at what he's doing. He takes his master's wealth, he takes his master's possessions, everything entrusted to him, and what does he do? He gives it away to secure friends for tomorrow. That's what he does. He gives it away, right, uh, so that people tomorrow will return the favor and be grateful, so that people tomorrow will welcome him. And Jesus says the dishonest manager is shrewd. Yes, he's only thinking himself, but he's so forward-thinking, isn't he? He knows what has been entrusted to him is coming to an end. And so what does he do? He gives it away to secure friends for tomorrow. He thinks of tomorrow. Dishonest but shrewd. Now, you then have the first of Jesus' application. That comes in verse 8. And then he says, For the people of this world 
right? Worldly people, um, godless people, he says, are are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the light. Jesus says, worldly people, like this dishonest manager, give more thought and plan and preparation to ensure their future happiness than Christian people do their eternal happiness. Did you hear that? Let me say that again. Jesus says, worldly people, the worldly people like this dishonest manager, give more thought and plan and preparation to ensure their future happiness than Christian people do their eternal happiness. That's what Jesus is saying. Because worldly people actually know that one day they'll have to stop work. It comes to an end. So they plan, they invest today to ensure they have a comfortable nest egg for retirement. Worldly people know that there is no job security these days. It'll come to an end. So they plan, they invest in skilling up to ensure that they're employable tomorrow. Worldly people are not complacent, are they? They know that present happiness does not last. Wealth and possessions do not last, right? They know it can be taken away. So what do worldly people do? They are always planning and preparing and investing to secure their future happiness. And Jesus says, you know, unfortunately... Christian people don't think like that when it comes to their eternal happiness. They aren't as shrewd as the people of this world. They aren't as smart as worldly people because they cannot see that everything they have now, their wealth, their possessions, their money, their finances, all that God has entrusted to them has actually got a use-by date. It's going to come to an end. It will eventually be taken from them. In fact, they are squandering their money, their wealth, their possessions. They are wasting it in self-indulgent living. They're not even using it to secure eternal happiness. And so Jesus says, worldly people are smarter than Christians. That's what Jesus is saying. Worldly people are smarter than Christians in how they use their wealth, their money, and their finances. So what are Christian people to do? To be shrewd with their God-given and trusted Wealth and money and finances. Well, look at what Jesus says, verse 9. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it is gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Did you see that? He says, use your worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself, so that when it's gone, you will be welcome into eternal dwellings. Uh, so, uh, so this is what a shrewd Christian actually looks like. Okay? So what does a shrewd Christian look like? Number one, stand your outlines. They actually recognize that there will come a day when their worldly wealth, their homes, their possession, their finances will all be gone. You can't take anything with you. Not a single cent will go with you when you walk through the door into eternity. You can guarantee that. Let that reality sink in. Nothing you own or possess or acquire or accumulate will accompany you when the sun sets in your life. Uh, And so the shrewd Christian actually lives with that reality in front of them. Money and wealth and possessions, finances, they have all got a use-by date. You know, every so often, you know, you, you go clear out your pantry and you've got all this stuff with use-by dates. And, and if you're really Asian like me, you never throw them out and you keep them for another year. And then, but you never use them because you just can't bear to throw it out. Okay? And then when your friends come over, you go, maybe I'll serve it up to them. Okay? But the shrewd Christian lives with that reality in front of them. Used by date, stamp on everything around me. 
Everything I own, everything I possess, money, wealth, possessions, they've all got to use by debt. They're finite. Remember what Jesus himself says about our earthly possessions, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to verse 21. He actually says the problem with us is that we, we make too much of things in our lives. We have a tendency to hold on too tightly to things in our lives. And in Matthew 6, Jesus says, they are either subject to decay or theft or they're taken away by death. Okay? And so the shrewd Christian actually recognizes there'll come a day when your worldly wealth will go. So that's number one. Number two, the shrewd Christian recognizes that worldly wealth is used to win friends for eternity. All right? That's what the shrewd Christian recognizes. It's to win friends for eternity. That's what shrewd Christians invest in. Jesus says you should be just as shrewd like the worldly who plan and then invest your resources or your God-given resources in light of future happiness. Right? Your greatest happiness in light of eternity. And so the shrewd manager, what does he do? He takes his master's wealth and he uses it today to change tomorrow. And Jesus says shrewd Christians will take their master's wealth and they will use it today to change eternity. And what greater benefit can there be than making and winning friends for eternity? And so the shrewd Christian actually invests their worldly wealth in what will reap the greatest happiness and joy in light of eternity. Has it ever occurred to you that there'll be a day when your heavenly father, your earthly, your heavenly master, the Lord, will actually audit the way you've managed your wealth. He'll audit the way you've managed your finances, your possessions, the money he has entrusted to you. Now, the dishonest manager, what he did was he entrusted his master's possessions and wealth. He squandered it all in indulgent living. But then when he realized it was all coming to an end, he takes his master's wealth and he gives it away to secure his future happiness. Jesus says, dishonesty is not the model, shrewdness is. Knowing that worldly wealth is God's gift to you, knowing that worldly wealth has a use-by date, he says, in that light, be shrewd, right? Use worldly wealth to secure what will reap the, the greatest happiness and joy for eternity. Take your worldly wealth and use it to win friends for eternity. So think of the future, Right? Be like the shrewd manager for when he thought, right? When he thought of the future, invested his master's wealth in winning friends who would be there for him, who would welcome him. Jesus says to us, think of your future and invest your God given money and wealth to invest in what will last people. Because everything else will disappear, you won't take it with you. And that's actually meant to drive us to think about how you and I are using our God-given wealth in light of eternity. You know, Ecclesiastes says that, doesn't it? Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 15 is there in your outline. Naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes, so he departs. He takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hands. I come empty, I leave empty. I take nothing from what I've earned and worked and secured. I came with empty hands, and I leave it empty hands. And, and so how I use um, in the now, what is now in my hands, right? What is now in my hands, what I use now in my hands is either going to be spent 
and invested in something that will benefit me now, which I can't take with me, or it's going to be spent on something that I'm going to be able to take with me. And the only thing you can take with you into eternity is people. Did you know that? That is the only thing you can take into eternity. People. Friends for eternity who will welcome you. Friends into eternity who will be grateful to you. Friends into eternity who will rejoice with you, who will celebrate with you, who will share in your happiness. If you're a parent, right? You want to give your children lots of things. You know, our kids are older, and uh, one of the things we realize is like, my goodness, they will never be able to own a home in Sydney. And so what do we do as parents? We think of how we can actually secure their future, how we can help them with a home in the future. But you know what's even more important? Securing your children's eternal happiness. See that? You can only take people into eternity. And so Jesus says, you know, use your worldly wealth that is going to disappear soon and use your worldly wealth so that it goes further than today or tomorrow. Invest into something that will go into eternity with you, that will reap and bring you joy. Use it to extend God's kingdom. And the only thing you can bring with you is people. You want your money to last? Well, here's how you do it. You want a return on investment for your money today? that's going to give you the highest possible return, here's how you do it, like the shrewd manager. Jesus says, use your worldly wealth, which is going to go anyway, and invest it in the gospel to make friends for eternity. That's, one, that's what's going to give you the biggest payoff, a return on investment that is actually eternal. Friends who will welcome you, who will share with you the joy of knowing and seeing you there celebrate the goodness of the gospel at the end because you took your worldly wealth and divested it so that they might come to know the Lord Jesus. That's how you use your money today to change tomorrow. Right? That's how you do it. Jesus says, invest in the gospel in making friends for eternity because it's going to be the biggest payoff in your life. The return on investment goes on into eternity. In fact, to not invest your money in the gospel, to hoard it, right? To hold on to it, uh, to selfishly squander it on yourself is actually wasting it. It's squandering it, right? It's squandering it today. And, and you know what? That's how we need to see giving to the ministry of the gospel. That's how we need to see your regular giving to Christian ministry. It's investing in today to change tomorrow. It's investing in today to win friends for eternity. The gospel gives real meaning and significance to your money because when you use it shrewdly and you invest in the best possible places, the profits go on and on and on beyond your generation into eternity. Uh, many years ago, one of our pastors actually said, Every dollar you spend, you can spend on the temporary or you spend with the gospel in mind. You can, every dollar you spend, the potential is there to make an investment into eternity in your lifetime and beyond your lifetime. And so the gospel does more than just save us. It actually presents us with the best investment opportunity you'll ever get. That's how it changes the way we use money. In fact, to not invest your money in the gospel, to not give generously to ministry, 
to hoard it, or even worse, to selfishly use it on yourself, according to Jesus, is a waste. The word is, it is to squander it. It is to waste it. And so Christian people are actually guided by Jesus in their use of money. How you use your worldly wealth doesn't save you. Hear me carefully. How you use your money doesn't earn you favor with God. But how you use your money actually tells you who saved you, who you belong to, who you really love. It reveals your Savior. Notice what Jesus says in verse 13, right? Because the way we use the master's wealth reflects who we belong to. And so notice what Jesus says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, it's really interesting. Um, I was looking at some old notes on some generosity stuff that we've taught here at Grace Point before. And when you look at the teaching of Jesus, Jesus speaks more of money than he does of love. Jesus speaks more of money than he does of heaven or hell. Interesting, isn't it? And I think he does that because he knows the power of money in our lives or the power of the money in his disciples' lives. But Jesus gives real meaning and significance to our wealth and our possessions and our finances because he says when you use it shrewdly and you invest in the best possible places, the profits go on, not just in your life, but beyond your lifetime into eternity giving you a joy and happiness that lasts, that is actually eternal. And so what this passage does is it encourages us to take stock of our wealth. Uh, You can spend it on the present. You can be incredibly self-indulgent, and we all are self-indulgent if we're honest, overly investing in property and thinking of our future. Or we can also be incredibly wasteful, and we all are, because we hoard and we buy stuff that's unneeded. Now, I don't want you to misunderstand me, Enjoy the good gifts God has given you. Wealth in the Bible is actually a blessing to be enjoyed. And so, enjoy it. But recognize the hand from which it comes. Don't let it consume you. Don't let it control your lives. Don't make it ultimate. Why? Because you're a steward of what God has given you to enjoy and use for the gospel. And so you can be self-indulgent, you can be wasteful, or you can always spend it with the gospel in mind. We can make investments into eternity for our joy and happiness in winning friends for eternity. It's the best investment opportunity the gospel offers us. Now, some of you already know this. Uh, Every few years I tell the story because there are people in our church who don't know the story. Uh, Our extreme youth ministry uh, at Litcombe, previously at Burwood, you know, it actually started with no more than six or seven teens, okay? No more than six or seven teens. Uh, as it grew, we realized we needed someone who could work on youth ministry. Uh, and, and that year, I still remember, uh, one of the working couples, both of them professionals, they came up to me at Grace Point and they said, uh, we want to put our tax return into ministry this year, okay? Are there any needs here we can invest in? I asked them, you know, look, how much do you want to put in? Okay, you know, maybe four or five thousand, that's what I thought they were going to tell me. And they said, um, tax return this year, 25,000. And so I said, oh, great. Here's a need at Grace Point. 
So that 25,000, that funded Pete Hughes part-time, his full part-time salary for that year, 100%. That was an investment. Now, you take a step back with me. Imagine what you would do if you got a tax return this year of 25,000, okay? Oh, maybe invest in a new car, uh, deposit on your house or investment property, overseas holidays maybe, uh, renovations, maybe the new TV, maybe increase your super payment. That young couple, they invested in the gospel. They invested in making friends for eternity. And I can tell you in the last 15 years, they have made hundreds of friends for eternity. People they don't even know about have come through extreme because they use their money today to change tomorrow, right? Now, some of you in this room are recipients of that couple's investment. You don't even know it, but you have experienced it, especially those of you who have come through extreme, right? The effects of the investment still continues today. Their money has, brought, have, has bought more friends for eternity than they'll ever know. As young people over the years have come to know Jesus through extreme, as some of you have grown up to serve in Christian ministry, as some of you have come to know and love the Lord Jesus and shared the gospel with others, now that's an investment that resonates into eternity. And one day, that couple will see and share the happiness of knowing where their worldly wealth has gone. What their earthly investment has won. Men and women who will one day welcome them. Men and women who will one day share in their happiness. That is the best investment anyone can make. They didn't squander the master's wealth. And so, can I say to you, there is a huge difference between being a builder and an inheritor in a church community. You know that? Huge difference. There are only two kinds of people in a church community. You're either a builder or an inheritor. The vast majority of people who choose their churches come as inheritors. They choose their churches based on how they can benefit, to gain, to be served, to consume. It's a, what we call a cruise ship mentality. I want to find a church that has enough services and activities and products for me, my family. And basically, you are riding on other people's work, other people's effort, other people's generosity, what other people have built. But then there are others who come as builders, who come to invest, who come to give of their time, their talents, their treasures, who come to serve, who come to build. It's a battleship mentality. I want to find a church where I can build the body of Christ, that I can share in mission with, a place where my family and I can serve the Lord in sacrificial service. What will you be? You know, Elliot said to me, hey, you've got Vision Sunday coming up in two months. And I thought, yeah, that's an interesting question, isn't it? But it's a question I want to ask. What will you be? You know, what will the next decade at Grace Point look like? What will you be? Will you be a builder or an inheritor? Will you be a builder or will you be an inheritor? Jesus says, use your worldly wealth that will soon disappear and invest in the gospel to be a builder with your wealth, to be a builder with your finances, to be a builder with the gifts God has given you, to be a builder with the talents God has given you, to make friends for 
eternity. And so here's a question that you and I need to ask ourselves as disciples of Jesus, right? If someone audited your finances, you're spending your investments, you're giving to church, you're giving to ministry, what would it reveal? So, you know, this passage isn't asking, how much are you giving? The passage does not do that. The passage doesn't even ask, what percentage are you giving to Christian ministry? It's asking us, what are you financially investing in? What are you financially investing in? Now, maybe today is the first time you've given serious thought to the issue of giving. I think it's a good thing. Maybe your community group leaders have challenged you and, you know, the conversation has started. I think that's a good thing. Because the gospel is meant to redeem and change all areas of our lives. But the hardest area is actually the area of our finances. And I think that's the reason why Jesus talks more about money than, than any other topic you find in the Bible. And, and really the way you use your God-given wealth uh, at the end of the day reflects what you think of the worth and value of the gospel. What you think is the worth and value of ministry here in our church. It reflects what you think of God's work and his place. I don't want you to misunderstand me because my purpose is not to make you feel guilty. Don't ever feel guilty. Never give out of guilt and never give unwillingly. The Bible makes that clear. The words of Jesus actually come to us as words of grace. Because what Jesus wants to do is Jesus wants to grow us and redeem our use of money. He wants us to grow a healthy view and a healthy relationship with the wealth that he gives us, right? He wants us to bring our wealth and finances, like all areas of life, under his discipleship. And so the call of Jesus in many of these passages is a call for us to readjust, reorient our lives, to refocus our lives. And he does it because he loves us. He wants us to invest our money in what will last so that we too experience the greatest possible joy we can actually experience. Giving away our wealth to win friends for eternity. Divesting ourselves of money to win friends for eternity. Investing our funds to win friends for eternity. Now in the past, uh, when we've talked about money at Grace Point, some people get very offended, by the way. Some people even get angry. You know, it's my money. I've earned it. You have no right to tell me what to do with my money. But I want to say to you, like everything else in your life, it's not yours. It never was. You're only a steward of what God has given you. Uh, And so hear the words of Jesus because you notice in this passage, there was also a group who didn't agree with Jesus, who didn't like what Jesus was saying about money. And notice you find them in verse 14 and verse 15. You see there? The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. And so you've got a group of people who love their money, and so they sneered at Jesus, they ignored his words. Now, this is Jesus' take, right, on their response. You justify your lifestyle before others. You justify the way you mishandle your master's wealth. You justify your greed and your self-indulgence. Why you give little to the kingdom. You justify why you can't be generous. You justify your hoarding. And Jesus' take is God knows your hearts. Did you hear that? Ultimately, your use of the master's wealth reveals your heart. How you invest 
what God has given you reveal your heart. It actually reveals what you most value in life. It shows you what you most treasure in life. It reveals the heart. And Jesus says, what you regard as valuable is detestable in God's sight. Did you see that? What you think is of great value actually disgusts him. It appalls him. And so, you know, it's worth reflecting on because I'm reflecting on this as well. That some of the things we treasure and live for and invest in at the expense of the kingdom and the gospel actually disgust God. Some of the things we buy and invest in at the expense of the kingdom actually appalls the Father. So, what are some practical things we can do in response to Jesus' words? What can we do to be shrewd men and women? Shrewd Christian men and women. Here are a few suggestions. Here's number one. Maybe you need to, th- to give some thought to how you can make changes to your spending patterns. Think how, of how you spend as an investment. And you've got to ask yourself, what am I investing in? Because your use of money is always an investment. Think of your spending as an investment, uh, how you can be investing to secure future happiness or eternal happiness in terms of what the gospel tells us to invest in. So that's the first thing. Think of your spending as investment. Okay? Investing in the present or investing for eternity. That's number one. Number two, maybe when we spend, we need to think carefully about whether we should be spending. If you are like me, I think we often spend on unneeded things. Okay? I have enough boots, but I'm always thinking of buying another pair of boots. Right? Uh, we're all like that, by the way. We all have things we spend on unnecessarily. So we should ask, do I really need to buy, accumulate, invest? Will it be an eternal investment that brings me lasting happiness and friends for eternity? And sometimes, you know, that's the reason why we can't give generously to the ministry of the gospel. We can't give generously to the ministry of the gospel because often we are wasting our money. That's the reason why, right? We're wasting our finances on things that are finite, things that are unneeded. That's the reason why we can't invest in eternity. Uh, Here's a third one. Maybe we need to take some time to look at places where we are currently investing our money. Right? Where's the bulk of your finances going? Look at those things. And you've got to ask yourself, have those things become places of security and significance and satisfaction and hopes in my life? Have those places where my money is currently invested, have they become masters that are controlling me? That's a good question to ask, isn't it? And if they have become a master in your life, you've got to seriously think of how you can actually find ways so that it begins to reduce its grip in your life so that you can actually let go to use it to invest in eternity. Worldly wealth, right, that has a grip on you has a use-by date. It will end at some point. It can never secure eternal happiness and friends for eternity because you can't take it with you. And so maybe if it is controlling your life, you've got to work out how you can actually reduce its power in your life so that you can give away to win friends for eternity. That's number three. Uh, Number four, maybe you are living beyond your means because you're always comparing yourself with others, look at what other people have, and you try to keep up with others. And so you live beyond your means. And because you live beyond your means, right, You have little, you have nothing to invest in the ministry of the gospel. 
And so if, you, if that's you, maybe you need to actually downsize your lifestyle, okay? You need to start practicing and living simplicity in the present with what you have rather than spending on what you don't have. The best way to do that is to look at your credit card. And if you did that, maybe you would have funds and finances to invest into eternity, to bring happiness, winning friends for eternity. Here's the fifth one. Maybe you need to stop asking, how much can I keep? What's the bare minimum I should give? And maybe you should start asking, how much can I actually give? And start giving away as much as possible to the ministry of the gospel. You know, start pouring as much as you can, investing into eternity. Start putting out as much as possible into securing eternal happiness by securing friends for eternity. So maybe you now save, but you save so that you can give more to gospel ministry. Uh, One of the things we notice at Grace Point, uh, and I say this to every group of workers, uh, you know, when you were at university, you had no money. Uh, Definitely you had no money when you were in high school. Uh, And you notice at university, you can always live within your means. And then you get your first job, right? Maybe you start at uh, 45, 50,000 income. You get your first job. And suddenly your lifestyle becomes a $50,000 lifestyle. And then as you climb the corporate ladder, uh, you know, you you hit the 100K mark. And the next thing you know, your lifestyle is 100K lifestyle. And then when you get married, double income. Suddenly you find that, you know, you have now 250,000 income, double income, corporate lifestyle, and you live the 250K lifestyle. And so you notice that we are always increasing our lifestyle based on our increased income levels. We all do that. But it's interesting, isn't it? When you're a university student, you could live the university lifestyle with great simplicity. That actually tells us that we tend to actually increase our lifestyle with our income. But if we didn't, Imagine how much more we could give away to invest in the ministry of the gospel to win friends for eternity. Christians in the West, like you and me, we're not good at living the simple lifestyle. But that's a challenge, isn't it? That is a challenge. Let me pray for us. Music team will come up. They'll lead us. So let's pray. Dear God, this morning we ask that you might open our eyes to see worldly wealth we possess as gifts, as gifts you have placed in our care to be used wisely and generously. Help us see that worldly wealth you give us today will one day come to an end. So help us use our worldly wealth wisely and generously in the present to win as many as possible for eternity so that we might share joy and happiness that goes beyond this life, so that we might make friends for eternity and find friends in eternity. Friends who, on account of our generous giving today, will welcome us and share eternal joy with us. Help us use our worldly wealth to invest generously and abundantly in people and ministries to make the Lord Jesus known. Amen.